May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. As Rolf Jacobson, one of the commentators I read this week, says, And welcome to Pentecost. May the Holy Spirit stir up new life in you. No, that's a little too tame. May the Holy Spirit rage in your heart like a fire. May the Holy Spirit blow your mind like hurricane gales and speak through you with the tongues of angels and mortals. Today we remember, reflect on and celebrate the ongoing work of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit, in creation, in the story of the people of God, in the formation and the ongoing story of the church, in our lives and in our world today. The day we celebrate this is determined by the story that Luke told, his version of the story in his second volume, the book of Acts. And that's different from John's version, when Jesus breathes, the, the risen Jesus breathes the Spirit into his disciples on Easter, Easter Sunday. In Luke's version, this happens on the day of Pentecost, which is still a Jewish festival. So it is, first and foremost, still a Jewish festival. And it is the festival where they celebrate the giving of Torah to Moses on Mount Sinai. It is also a harvest festival, giving thanks for God's generosity to us all in creation. I've made some comments about that in my theme for the week in the pew sheet. And our prayer for today is in part based on that festival and the giving of law of Torah to Moses. And it leads me to wonder how we hold those two festivals together, the giving of Torah to Moses and our celebration of Pentecost. How does that inform our celebration? It leads me to wonder how the Spirit leads us to continue living in God's presence freeing the slaves of today, living God's liberation today, and being God's justice today. The trouble for us is... Oh, I forgot to click the thing. The trouble for us, so that's Jews celebrating their festival. The trouble for, the trouble for us is that well, our story has become far too familiar. Who felt the move, the world, the earth move as you listened to that reading read by Helen? How many were left feeling bewildered, amazed, astonished or perplexed at the end? My guess is none of us, because we've heard it so many times before. In fact, we've been listening to that story for 2,000 years, and it's become familiar, too familiar. And we miss just how radical and how disturbing it really is. And instead, we make it safe. And we do things like, well, we celebrate the church's birthday, and we have balloons and birthday cakes or cupcakes. We don't have any cupcakes. 
well, I don't think we have any cupcakes for morning tea. More's the pity. But, but all of that makes this day quite nice, like chocolate cake, and safe. And this is not a safe day. I need to say that I have celebrated the church's birthday on this day, and I probably will again, but we're not going to do it today. Because the danger is that when we do that, we lose just how unsafe this day is. Because the spirit we celebrate today is the same spirit that, as we said, hovered over the waters of chaos in Genesis 1 and brought forth order and life. This is the same spirit that continues to animate all creation. It is the same spirit that allowed Joseph to understand dreams. The same spirit that called Moses from a burning bush and freed the Hebrew slaves from Egypt. It is the same spirit that gave Torah. The same spirit that spoke through the prophets, reminding rulers and peoples of Torah's requirement to live justly. The work of the Spirit is not safe and cannot be domesticated. May the Holy Spirit rage in your heart like a fire and blow your mind like hurricane gales and speak through you with the tongues of angels and mortals. All of which reminded me of this guy. Saint Augustine of Hippo, who I did talk about about nine years ago. And I remember after talking about him, having quite a long conversation with Malcolm about the difference between him and Saint Augustine of Canterbury, who uh, went to Britain to take the Roman Catholic Church and get all those uh, Celtic Christians back into line. Well, that's one version of the story anyway. St. Augustine of Hippo lived in the late 300s and the early 400s. Hippo was a city in North Africa. He did spend some time in Rome and other places. Uh, and he lived at a time, a turbulent time, a violent time, a time when the Western Empire was crumbling and in 410 the Visigoths and Vandals rode into Rome. The unthinkable happened. And while there was an emperor for about another 50 years in the West... There continued to be a Roman Empire emperor in the east, situated in Constantinople until 1451 or two, for another well, another thousand years. And but in the west was turbulence. And Saint Augustine wrote heaps. He is one of the most prolific writers ever, and he is one of the greatest Western theologians. Much of his theology still shapes our understanding today. He's the guy that came up with the idea of original sin, which we all think means something about uh, being bad when you're born as a baby. Which wasn't really what he was talking about, but it's kind of come to mean that. In fact, what he was talking about when he coined that phrase was that Humanity has forgotten who God is and who we are. They have forgotten that God is love. And we have forgotten that we are made in the image of the God of love. And 
As a result, our sin is that we kill love and we give in to death. That is original sin. The trouble is, Augustine realised, was understanding what it means for God to be love. It's quite an abstract concept, really, isn't it? It's quite hard to get our heads around. I remember Tom last week, I think, said, I wasn't really sure about this love stuff, God being love. What does it mean for us to be made in the image of the God of love? Well, like all theologians of his time, Augustine had a pastoral concern. He was a bishop, he was a leader of a flock, a whole group of people who were uh, just terrified, really, and amazed at what was happening to their world. It was crumbling and falling apart. And everything he wrote had a pastoral concern. He wanted to help people live in the way of Jesus. And, and if theology didn't do that, there wasn't any point to it. So everything he wrote, and as I said, he wrote a lot, had that purpose. How do we live in the way of Jesus? And theology was supposed to inform that. So he wrestled with this issue. Who is the God of love? How do we understand that? What does it mean to be made in the image of love? For decades, for decades he wrote one of his most important works on the Trinity. For him... The theology of the Trinity informs how we live as Christians. I bet that's a surprise for most of you. That's a warm-up for next Sunday, Trinity Sunday. And this little book is very different from just about everything else he wrote because everything else he wrote, he kind of sat down and banged it out. Even Savardus Day, City of God, which is huge. In my youth, I read it in my idealistic zeal. I don't know that I'd give it a crack now, but maybe after I retire and I've got lots of time, I'll give it another go. Even that one, he just wrote. But this book took decades, decades, to put together. And it's an important book because, firstly, it's one of the very first times anyone lays out a basis for a theory of psychology. This is one of the first psychology textbooks. Secondly, it, it explores the purpose of the incarnation, passion, resurrection and ascension of Christ within the Trinity. And thirdly, he offers insights into the nature of the Trinity and how that should shape how we live following the way of Christ. In his book, he describes God the Trinity as God the lover, God the beloved, and God the love between. God the lover, God the beloved, and God the love between. And he says that in the incarnation, the second person of the Trinity, the beloved, comes as one of us in the person of Jesus to teach us and to show us in words and action who God the lover is. And we are reminded in Jesus' life that we, are, that we are made in the image of God the lover. As beloved. And then he shows us what it looks like to live in the spirit of love. 
So the Trinity undergirds everything. The second person of of the Trinity comes to live amongst us to show us what the first person of the Trinity looks like, God the lover, so that we might know that we too are loved and live our lives in the spirit of love, the third person of the Trinity. He realised that the concepts about God being love and we being made in the image of love was too abstract. We just don't get it. So, he said, in Jesus we are offered a life, a story, something tangible, something that makes sense to us in our world because he lived in our world And we have the story, this life, of someone who lived among us to remember and to reflect on and to contemplate. This is where the psychology comes in. And as we do that, he's way more complicated than what I'm going to give you, just a heads up. And as we do that, that story becomes, as Bonnie talked about last week, our foundational story. The story that undergirds everything. As we do that, we realise who God truly is. The God, the lover. And we realise who we are, the loved. That we are made in the image of God, the lover. And we are invited then to live in the spirit of love. And that all happens as we remember and reflect and contemplate the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus was the heart of everything. Which brings us to John's Gospel and what he teaches about the spirit of love and what the spirit of love does. Except in John's Gospel, Jesus' words uses a word that's quite tricky, paraclete. Now... One of the problems with translating words from one language to another is that you lose a whole lot of meanings and nuances as soon as you do that. And paraclete is a wonderful example because paraclete is a really big word that means a lot. And the minute you translate it into English, it might be a good translation, but you lose something. So today, the translators translated the word paraclete as companion. And that's a good translation. But it'll lose something. So lots of translators went, this is too hard, and they just stuck the word, stuck with the word paraclete, which is fine as long as you go and Google what paraclete might mean. And mostly we don't do that. So it becomes a title more than anything. So what does this word paraclete mean? Well, in John's Gospel, Jesus says that he was the first paraclete. He says, I will send you another paraclete. So the first paraclete, that's Jesus. So if you want to know what a paraclete does, you've got to look at Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Well, first and foremost, Jesus is a teacher. He's a rabbi. He teaches them for three years. Paraclete teaches But he also leads them and guides them. So a paraclete leads and guides. And he is with them. He is their companion. So a paraclete is a companion. 
And he sends them out and he gathers them. So a paraclete sends out and regathers. And this block of teaching that we heard today comes right at the end. Right at the end. This is Jesus' last time with his disciples. He is about to be betrayed by one of his inner circle. Denied by another of the inner circle. Deserted by all the male disciples. He's about to be arrested and tried and crucified. Everything is looking about as bleak as it possibly can be. And in that moment, Jesus is offering words of comfort and hope and strength. Paraclete offers comfort and hope and strength. So when we talk about the coming of the Spirit of Love, the Paraclete, we are talking about all of those things. That word means all of that and more. So Jesus says that the Paraclete will come and the Paraclete is our companion, our guide, our sender and gatherer, our encourager, our comforter, who gives hope and strength, our motivator, our teacher, the one who reminds us of everything that Jesus said and did and teaches us about who God the lover is and that we are made in the image of God the lover as beloved and then invites us to live in that spirit of love. We are reminded of how God is love. We are reminded that we are made in the image of that love. And we are invited to live in the spirit of love in the good times and the mundane times and in the hardest of times. May the Holy Spirit rage in your hearts like a fire, blow in your mind like hurricane gales, and speak through you with the tongues of angels and mortals. So how do we experience the spirit of love in our lives? And where do we see the spirit of love at work in our world today? And what difference does that make? Well, I invite you to have a conversation with those around you. How do you experience the spirit of love, the paraclete, in your life today? Where do you see the spirit of love, the paraclete, at work in the world? And what difference does that make? Have a conversation. <laughs>